We all have questions. Questions about faith and relationships, beliefs and politics and social issues in our planet and God. Where do you go when you're done with cliches and starving for the conversation to ascend? What do you do when you're struggling to find connection within your community, within your church? So join us, Lauren, Danielle, and Jason, to connect, discuss relevant topics, and try to navigate living in the tension of everyday life as Jesus followers. We call this podcast, The Outsiders. So what's something that really infuriates you? And I'm not talking about bad drivers or people with different opinions. Yeah, sure, of course. But something that deeply hurts. So the last time I was arrested, and to be clear, it was indeed the last time I will ever be arrested, I was 18 years old, and a local reporter took it upon themselves to write a short article including my name and a picture to unpack and inform the public of the incident. The problem? (laughs) The story was all wrong. Within the story were buckets of assumptions, fragments of truth, totally out of context, which ultimately misled people and perpetuated a lie about me. And I was, honestly, it was a false narrative. And like what infuriates me, false narratives. They are a species of lie. So why do I bring this up? Well, one reason I love being a pastor who gets to form countless relationships with people is because I believe many in our world, both churchy people and non-churchy people, have been fed a false narrative about God. Like who he is and what he's like, what he's currently doing and why. One thing I love about hosting and creating the Outsiders podcast is together, Lauren, Danielle, and I, we can correct and clarify false narratives about God and the scriptures. And today's, I, I'm, I'm super pumped about today's um, topic because we get to clarify another false narrative, one that connects, honestly, to every single one of us. According to the National Institute of Health, it's the only disease or illness where the majority of the people with it don't seek treatment. So welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Outsiders Podcast, as today we're unpacking mental health. So Heads up, trigger warning, we'll be talking about mature themes and content around mental illness and mental health, just so you know. And in case you don't know, my name is Jason, and I'm in studio with my two rock star co-hosts, Lauren and Danielle. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is great. So yeah, as Lauren was saying a little bit earlier, this is our penultimate episode of the season which is kind of a big deal for us. We're really excited. So uh, so just so everyone knows that. But before we jump into our episode, Lauren and Danielle, um, how are you doing, honestly? And what's something that infuriates you? Doing good. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's not uh, loaded at all. That's my answer for today. That's fair. What's something that infuriates you? Oh, oh still me. Um, I'm really mad because... When you first asked the question at the beginning and my immediate answer, like it immediately came into my head was people that walk slowly in front of me. But then you were like, I'm not talking about Van Ryver. And and I'm like, well, dang it. My answer was something stupid like that. Because honestly, mine was going to be people who drive slow. See, just don't be slow in front of me. That's just not okay. Um, But on like a deeper level, I think something that really infuriates me are people who are like, 
disrespectful or mean mm. for no reason. Mm. It's just like, like, I don't care who it's to, but especially like to people I care about, but like even just in general, like just don't be mean. Mm-hmm. Like just be nice. Mm-hmm. Saying that to myself too. <laughs> I am doing... I was going to say fine, but that would be a lie. I'm really going through some stuff, guys. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've been saying that um, in a lot of our episodes. (laughs) The entire season. (laughs) Yeah, the entire season. This year has been something. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm including 2020 also when I say this year. It's just like a continuum. Yeah, 2021 is just an extension. It's an era. So it's 2020B. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to be honest about that. And yeah, I was going to say people who drive slow, especially when I am late, which is often something I'm working on. Um, But I think something that like on a deeper level that that infuriates me is like when people are fake Mm. and like my radar just goes off. It's just like, man, if like, if you're not doing okay, like don't try and just plaster a smile on and right. get through something. Like just be right. real. No, hundred uh, percent. And I think actually that kind of, actually that's a really good segue into what it is we're going to talk about. Um, yeah. So let's get into that because in case you didn't know, uh, today's actually part two of our conversation on mental health. And if you didn't get a chance to listen to part one, you should totally go back and give it a listen. It was super fun. Uh, Lauren, Danielle, and I had a great conversation with Robert Vohr, a mental health professional in the Atlanta, Georgia area. Um, so guys, let's do like some quick high-level recap to set the table so we can move into today's discussion and application. Sure. So um, last week, we talked a little bit just about kind of defining what mental health is and why it's important for us to talk about it. Um, we talked about why it's stigmatized in our churches, our communities, um, even in the healthcare system, and a little bit about why that stigma exists, and some ideas on how to bring about change regarding that. Uh, Robert also shared a little bit about the work he does in the mental health field and shared some great ideas and actionable steps on how to prioritize caring for ourselves, our mental health, and each other. Yeah, so one of the points that Robert brought up is in reference to talking about mental health um, instead of mental illness, that it's all something that we can relate to and should think about instead of only those who have been diagnosed with a mental illness. I thought that was a really um, good point, and it's just so much more inclusive, um, and I just I really liked that approach. And I also really liked when he talked about figuring out if we're in a healthy place to give our best to other people. I think that's something we need to always take account for. Like if I'm going through something and need to vent that I should ask a person like, hey, do you have capacity? Do you have space for me to kind of unload on you right now? And I think that that is not only taking account for what you need, but also the other person. Um, And so just asking like, can I show up for people right now? And if not, what do I need to do to get to a place where I can? Um, Especially for those of us that are involved in ministry. We we talked a little bit about, you know, um, people who are volunteer or are in those caring for spaces, like how we can have boundaries and take care of ourselves so that we can better take care of the people that, you know, we feel called to, to show up for. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and so I think this topic is really important to us um, and think that really all of us 
have some sort of personal experience related to mental health. So to set the stage, what are some of your personal experiences with mental health? Um, I'll go first. Yeah, uh, I didn't really realize that I had anxiety or I didn't really name it until I was an adult really a few years ago. And I mean, to be clear, I, I, I don't have any kind of like anxiety disorder diagnosis or anything. Just an Enneagram six. <laughs> and those yes. of my Enneagram friends out there know yes. exactly what that means. But yeah. I do think it's it's important to make that distinction because mm-hmm. it is a huge spectrum. Not everybody who experiences anxiety has a diagnosis or, you know, is on the, is quite on that level. But everybody has the ability to experience anxiety mm-hmm. in their lives, whether it's in a moment, whether it's chronic, whether it's, you know, whatever. So um, I definitely started to experience that a lot more in adulthood. And I think that that's largely just because your circumstances change, you know, you become way more independent and that makes you have a lot more responsibilities. Your circumstances change. Life gets a lot harder. You're not sheltered from a lot of the stuff that you're sheltered from when you're younger. Mm-hmm. Um, your coping mechanisms change. Your ability to work through stuff changes. And so I think that that just the additional stress that comes with adulthood is just kind of normal. But I think that with not being able to cope with stuff the way I did, I mean, I grew up playing competitive hockey and I played competitive boys hockey, which means I got to hit people mm-hmm. <laughs> like three or four nights a week on a weekly basis. And I don't think I realized how huge of a coping mechanism it was that I literally just got that to is. ram boys into the boards <laughs> every other day. Like that, that was, that was therapy, you know? Yeah. And I don't think that I, and I, I know that sounds kind of funny, but I don't think I realized how mm-hmm. much I missed that and mm-hmm. having that coping mechanism. And obviously there were other things that helped me cope and not having the same stressors and stuff, but like life just changes and it gets harder. And, you know, I've definitely noticed how the distractions and the stress in my life have impacted my relationship with God and created Mm -hmm. distance there. And then I've noticed how that has impacted my stress and then how it's just kind of created this like endless loop and cycle that has all really come out of my anxiety. Um, And From my experience, I think that there has been a lot of power in naming it and owning it and Mm -hmm. learning how to navigate and use that anxiety. You know, I think that because of my ability to see the world through an anxious lens, I have the ability to care for people in a way that not a lot of people can. Mm -hmm. However, it still is really hard to be an anxious person. Um, You know, I think I've gone through a lot of internal growth and discovery and had a lot of really great conversations with some friends and some family, um, but not a whole lot of conversations in my church community. Um, And I think that that is probably something that we've all kind of seen. So yeah, I mean, I think that everybody could probably look at themselves and self-reflect and say at, at one point in my life, I went through something that I maybe didn't realize was a mental health problem. Not saying that you had some kind of diagnosis or disorder, but mm-hmm. some kind of Just mental health struggle. I think we've all been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like Danielle, I didn't know about my anxiety until a few years ago. Um, I think I was more aware of my depression because I think it presented itself a lot more. Um and ever since then, like I've been working with therapists to better learn how to take care of myself and and work through. Um, I I explain it that there's like a pendulum swing, right? Like on one side is anxiety and the other side is depression, and 
rarely is there a time where there's like, it's in the middle. It's like on either side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I've mentioned in other podcast episodes that I am a deep feeler. And with that um, comes a lot and its own ways of like presenting itself. I remember growing up, um, I didn't grow up in like a hugely emotional um, family. And so there would be times where like, you know, I wouldn't express my emotions or whatever. And then it would get to a point where I would have like an emotional breakdown on the couch and my family would be like, what just happened? And it was like a little thing, but it was, you know, built up over time. Um, and, and since then I've learned how to communicate and express those emotions and, it's to me, it's so empowering to say like, I feel this way or fill in the blank, um, that there's power in, in emotions. And I think it's empowering and vulnerable to say I'm feeling sad or I'm having a hard time with such and such, um, or today's a really, really good day. And so, you know, being able to work through my anxiety and, and depression with mental health professionals in, you know, grounding and breath work and, you know, just things like I don't wake up to an alarm anymore because that is just like startling me out of my sleep. Like these little things that I never thought ever could be helpful. Not that I was like, what you're telling me is a load of crap. No, it was like, oh, there are these other ways that I can take care of myself um, to help me cope. And that's just been so helpful, you know, over the last few years. Um, and not feel guilty about it either. hundred percent. Right? Like flipping the switch from, man, I feel guilty about not being okay. No, it's totally okay yeah. to not be okay. Yeah. And so with that, like I've learned to give, and it's still a learning process, right? Of giving myself so much grace in the process of acknowledging my anxiety and depression and learning what those triggers and those emotional responses are and being open, Jason, like you said, with people about like, hey, I'm not okay. And you don't need to fix that at all. Like it just is what it is. And, you know, tomorrow will be a new day or maybe I will still be in the same place tomorrow. Um, but yeah, just kind of working. But you don't have to travel that journey alone. Either, exactly. Right? And I think that's the biggest thing, right, about us talking about mental health right. is I hope that our listeners, you know, if something has gone undiagnosed or whatever that People don't feel like they're alone in their journeys. And I think that's so powerful in being able, you know, to share our personal experiences um, and also like all the stuff that Robert talked about in our last episode. Mm -hmm. So thinking back on, you know, my childhood and especially like in high school and even in college, I don't remember mental health being as large of a topic as it is now, I think. I think they're always like, take care of yourself, make sure you sleep and you eat right. But it wasn't necessarily under the umbrella of mental health, um, especially... Wait, it's still under the umbrella of like physical, mm-hmm. biological yes. health. Yes, yeah. but not like, we're going to talk about mental health, right? And especially in Christian environments. So my question for you guys is... How has mental health, like, how is it navigated and talked or not talked about in Christian communities today? Mm. 
I think that this is very dependent on the generation. Um, mm. And I think that's both within and outside of the church. Mm. Um, I think that this younger generation is much more comfortable talking about mental health, you know, even like going to therapy and really just being comfortable, being more open and vulnerable about our feelings. And I think that some of that is just based on what is seen as appropriate now that maybe wasn't seen as appropriate before. I mean, I think that just our generation is a much more casual generation, I think, <laughs> than than the older generation. I think that's just part of, you know, how change has occurred. So I think that that's definitely part of it. Um, and then, like I said, you know, personal uh, comfort level as well. Um, and for those within a Christian context, I think that there is still some hesitancy to talk about this because depending on the openness or culture of your community, it still may be received in a very weird or like judgy or maybe negative way because, mm-hmm. you know, of that tension of mental health and a relationship with Jesus being able to exist at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Danielle, I think you bring up a really good point about the culture of your community. Um, I think within many, many cultures, whether it's Christian culture or your ethnic culture, that there is still a stigma around mental health and being open with that and getting help. Um, And I think that there's just so, there's so many people that are trying to break through the generational traumas and patterns of not talking about mental health. Mm -hmm. Um, So to those who are leaning in that, like I give you so many kudos because Mm -hmm. it is a lot harder than those of us who aren't fighting that uphill battle. But I think it's definitely worth acknowledging. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think like Christian, what Christians think about mental health is incredibly important. What I was actually really surprised by this. I was reading um, an article written by the National Institute of Health. And basically, this article was saying that there was a study done that said that Americans who, like, either they're feeling mentally unstable or they're depressed or they just feel like something's a little off or, you know, they're, they're out of balance, something's just not quite right. Basically, the study was saying that Americans are more likely to go to clergy or a pastor than an actual mental health care provider or physician. Like they're more likely mm. to go to, to a pastor first. And what's interesting about the study that kind of jumped out at me is this would be all Americans, not even Christian Americans, right? So it's like people feel like, okay, I'm not going to go to an actual <laughs> legitimate professional in this area. I'm just going to go to a clergy. So really what Christians think about this, I think is vitally important, whether it, we realize it or not. Sorry, not to cut you off. Did it say why? Like, did it give any reasons as to why people said they were more Comfortable with that? Um, honestly, I don't remember. I have to go back and look. That's okay. But I just think that would be really it. interesting. Yeah. It, to know oh, too. I was like yeah. shocked. Well, because yeah. I think that also, like in in my medical mind, I feel like that par- partially speaks to the low level of accessibility in our healthcare yes. system. Yes. Yeah. You know, like part you know of what? it is like the trust and the relationship mm-hmm. and like that kind of stuff. But I think that's probably a huge part yes, of it too. It was. Thank you for saying to, that. Totally reminded me that was one of the reasons. Yeah. Is accessibility. Mm-hmm. Yep. You're Sorry, right. go wow, on. Just, just on. thought I'd Yeah, no, that, that's ask. good. Nailed it. Yep, for sure. Um, so yeah, okay. So this is I like I said, I think this is frightening. But also, thirty to forty percent of churches tend to spiritualize the phenomenon of mental health. Uh, like how many times have you heard or read or whatever, like someone saying, Well, you know, just just read the Psalms and your depression will go away. <laughs> Which, it's kind of ironic. Have you read the Psalms? Um, 
basically there's a whole mess of them that are literally laments, right? Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's interesting. Or right, or I've I've actually heard this. People say, oh well, you know what? You just gotta pray more. Um, or I've heard people say, well, being stressed or anxious is a sin because after all, Philippians four says we should be anxious for nothing and pray about everything. And I don't know why I'm saying it with like this weird. You voice. always do. That's you your always voice. Do, it. do I really? Yeah, that's your. I'm quoting someone else. I don't mean that. I just realized. Just like I, okay, totally off topic. Like when I quote sometimes in my sermons, like hymns, I tend to do like this. Okay, I'm, it's just weird. <laughs> I, I, I don't mean that. Um, okay, oh, but another uh, other times I've heard people say, "Well, you should." <laughs> well, you should never be depressed, right? Because the Bible says to rejoice always. And, and one time, it was actually when I was in the seminary, which was many moons ago, but I heard a, a pastor literally say that they don't de- believe in depression or mental health because it's not actually written in the Bible. Hmm. It's like, okay. And, and then, like, I remember him going on saying, well, the only thing I really believe in is what's in the Bible. Okay, okay really? Do you not believe in baseball or ice cream? Because <laughs> pretty sure that's not in there either. And ice cream is definitely from heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jesus makes ice cream, <laughs> yeah. just to be clear. <laughs> oh, man. No, I think I think you bring up a really good point, um, a, a really key point, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more later, but the way you put it just really kind of like made sense to me, you know, saying the spiritualization of mental health. Um, I think it's one of the only areas of health that is often directly correlated to spiritual health. You know, mm-hmm. like right. you don't say you got appendicitis because you weren't close with Jesus. Like right. yeah. mental health, I think, is one of the main areas that is directly correlated, at least within a Christian context a lot of the time. Um, and I do think that the way we process and navigate and move through our anxieties and struggles and hardships is absolutely impacted by our closeness and relationship with Jesus, mm-hmm. if that's something you believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that those are two different things, you know, like navigating hardships and also mental health and actual mental health problems. Um, I know that I'm less stressed and less anxious when I'm in a good place with God, but I don't think that that means that your anxiety diagnosis or depression diagnosis or whatever just goes away. Right. Right. I can have anxiety and or depression and be solid in my relationship with Jesus. It's not, I don't see it as an either or, I see it as a both and Mm -hmm. that my relationship with God opens my eyes to the freedom and grace that he's given and he has for me and for others, no matter what I or or they're going through. And I think it's also possible to hold sorrow in one hand and, and joy in the other at the same time. And for me, this brings back the the thought of emotions, right? Like God created emotions and they're so powerful and beautiful and scary all at the same time. And we have a God who I think fully understands the complexity of emotions and mental health and can meet us wherever we're at in whatever emotion that we're feeling. And that just gives me goosebumps to think like how awesome God is in that way and that we shouldn't ignore that or say that it's not of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so really the the question begs to be asked, and that is, you know, we just spent some time talking about mental health and how it's often a topic within Christianity and within the Christian context that's typically navigated, you know, how it's navigated, uh, you know, from this, from that Christian perspective. But really the question is, like, why is this a bad thing? Like, why is this a problem? 
I mean, I think it's a problem because people then feel like they need to hide their struggles out of shame and fear. And those are two places as Christians that we should never push people to be Mm. ever. Yeah. And I think that's something that we've touched on in multiple other episodes, you know, just like the general concept of people not feeling safe enough to bring Mm -hmm. their struggles out of the darkness and into the light and come out of hiding largely out of fear of how it will be received by others. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think there is um, also just so much danger in telling people to pray their mental illness away. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like it gives me anxiety to talk about this because I feel like tackling the topic of mental health in general is scary because fear of saying the wrong thing Mm -hmm. or it being misconstrued by either side is definitely there. But I'm going to try to say my thoughts the way that makes sense. I think that this is one of kind of the biggest triggers or hot buttons when it comes to addressing mental health in the church for so many reasons. Um, And I think the necessary disclaimer is that I don't think that Um, any of us think there's a problem with praying about our struggles with mental health or just, you know, with life in general. As Christ followers, I think that that is a huge, 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 huge part of our walk with Jesus. And I think that statements like just pray, pray about it can come across as diminishing as opposed to helpful because it makes it seem like one, something is wrong with you and needs to be fixed. And so if you just pray hard enough, it'll fix the broken thing about you. And Two, there's a super simple solution and you're just not doing it right. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can make people feel bad about their spirituality and the strength of their faith because it can make people feel like the reason for the state of their mental health is somehow their fault. And again, I do think that there is connection between mental health and the degree of your struggle and your relationship with God, but I do not think it's cause and effect. And at the same time, I think it's great and helpful to encourage people to take things to God and to encourage them to pray Actually, last week, Jason just preached a sermon at church, and he was talking about, you know, giving our struggles to God as a burnt offering, not reaching back into the fire to try to take them back, but fully surrendering them to him. And I believe that there's so much power in that, but I think that there's a difference between talking to God about our problems and leaning on him and maybe implying that somebody can, like, pray their diagnosis away. And I hope that my thoughts just made sense. Yeah, no, I think it does because— by saying that, it's almost like the person who's feeling broken. It's like you don't actually realize you're broken more than you think you are, right? right. In another area. Mm. Like, like, we're all broken, but helpful. you're broken more than me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. right. Yeah. yeah. I think one of the things Robert brought up last week that was so powerful was the idea of not focusing on fixing, but focusing on healing. Mm-hmm. And I just love this idea because, right, like in the Bible, Jesus is referenced as the healer. Mm. And I I think that it has such a more positive emphasis on the idea because fixing, Danielle, you kind of said this, has the connotation that something is wrong and needs to be made right. And healing has that that connotation of wholeness. Mm-hmm. Shalom. We've talked about this, you know, oh, throughout multiple preach, episodes. Preach, shalom. And I think that God is in the business of healing. And there are countless stories in the Bible of his unique ways of meeting people where they're at and healing them. And it's not, it, it wasn't ever a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just know that there's, there's power in prayer. I've seen it in my own life. And some things take more time to heal because of the wounds that have been left 
for years and even generations. Um, and I just think that 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 healing yeah. process, right, is just so much more of what we can focus on instead of you need to be fixed because you're broken. Right. And I would even just add, like, God shows up to heal people where they are, not for some other agenda, mm -hmm. just because they're a human being. Exactly. And that's the only agenda. Well, and something we've mentioned in other episodes, too, is like the, you know, healing turns your wounds into scars yeah. and, and that makes them easier to talk about and easier to process. And mm -hmm. I think that, you know, you can't fix a wound. You have to heal a wound. Right. And, you know, that that is something that I think is is a really great point that, you know, mm -hmm. we talked about last week. Mm -hmm. So our million dollar question in most of our episodes <laughs> is, does the Bible say anything about this? You know, is mental health there? Were there people in the Bible with mental health struggles? Or, I mean, obviously we can't go back in time and diagnose them, but like, right. what, what was this a topic that the Bible tackled? So I think this is fascinating, as always. And this is like one of my favorite parts of our podcast. It's like, yeah, let's get into this stuff. Because like literally there are volumes and volumes of books devoted to unpacking Bible characters' mental health. And, like just Google it and you'll find a whole bunch of stuff. And it's actually really fascinating to read and study because oftentimes this really helps us understand not just the characters themselves, but why they did what they did. And then in turn, why God did what he did. So yes, According to many scholars, there are at least 27 references to mental health in the scriptures. And if you include the Apocrypha, which is that intertestamental writing, um, there are about 32 references. And what's interesting is that the ancients had zero concept of a brain, right? And, and so there are literally no references throughout all of ancient writings, including the scriptures, where people understand that humans had brains. They thought the only thing in their head <laughs> was fatty tissue. And maybe, you know, okay, I won't say that, right? So, so they believe that all thinking and feeling came from the same place, which was your heart or your guts or your innards, um, it, depending on, you know, what verse you're looking at. So the Bible doesn't really specifically say mental illness, but there are nearly 30 references to extreme psychosis or extreme behavior. Um, and the ancients referred to these extreme behaviors as madness or insane. Um, and, and we actually see this quite a bit. According to the scriptures, madness was considered punishable. Uh, we see this a lot. I'll just kind of give some, some quick information where we can see this. Um, and, and the other thing is, there was this very clear understanding of what madness was or what it looked like. So for a quick example, David acts mad before the king of Gath. So in 1 Samuel 21, starting in verse 13, it says, so he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, King Ashish said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? So clearly there's this understanding that acting a certain way equaled madness, right? And so for David, like you can't act or like fake like you're going to act like being a monkey, like successfully, unless people actually understand what monkeys act like. So my point is, within the biblical times, there was this understanding that mad people kind of looked and acted like this, uh, which I think is kind of interesting, right? There was this like this understanding. Um, Jeremiah 29 says, you are responsible. Oh yeah, so talking about like, okay, what were they normally going to do like in the scriptural time? 
it was punishable. Your Bible actually says this in Jeremiah 29. It says, you are responsible to put into stocks and neck irons any crazy man who claims to be a prophet. Okay, so clearly they thought, okay, this behavior is unacceptable and it needs to be controlled. But then you fast forward into the Gospels and in Mark, right? It's kind of a pretty famous story um, about a man named Legion who is demon-possessed. And Jesus goes across the lake to, to be there and have this exchange with him. But in Mark 5, it says this, This man lived in the burial caves and could no longer be restrained even with the chain. So in other words, they tried this. This was their way of dealing with it. You chain him up. Verse 4 says, whenever he was put in the chains and shackles, as he often was, okay, so they tried this a lot, apparently, he snapped the chains from his wrists and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. So there's this understanding. When you act a certain way, you should be chained up. Um, but again, right, we, we could keep on going. In Acts, Rhoda is mentioned. Uh, she's this girl, and, and Peter at the time was in prison. Peter escapes miraculously from prison, goes to where the disciples are. Rhoda's at the door, answers the door. In Acts 12, 15, uh, Rhoda comes to the disciples and says, Peter is standing at the door. And verse 15 says, you're out of your mind, they said, right? So this element of just being crazy, they had an understanding. Jesus himself, I think is interesting, was actually accused four times in the scriptures, three in John and one in Mark, of being demon-possessed or mad. Uh, John 10, verse 20 says, some said he's demon-possessed and out of his mind, right? So there's this connection. Um, so why listen to a man like that? So at the end of the day, I think it's ironic and interesting that even within a Christian context, we kind of make this connection between mental health and separation from God. Mm. And in the ancients, they kind of had a similar thought. Um, we see this language, uh, which means that the ancients had a, a common understanding when someone acted like this, but we translate it right within the scriptures as well, they were either mad or out of their mind or they had a demon. So the point is, if they're mentally unstable or unhealthy, that equaled somehow they were separate from God. And I find it interesting that now 4,000 years later, some of our theology hasn't actually changed much. Now, to be clear, I'm not saying that every time, because this could be a criticism, that every time in the Bible talks about a demon, that just means that they're, it's a mental health issue. I'm definitely not saying that. Just like I'm not saying every snake is Satan. No, that's not true, right? <laughs> uh, right? Like, Satan used a snake. God once spoke through the mouth of a donkey. Like, we see this theme throughout the scriptures that supernatural powers can work through the natural. So I'm not saying that every time this is what it equals. I'm just saying that there are times I, I, where I think we can understand mm -hmm. that supernatural powers show up within a, a natural element, and perhaps it does become or it's worked through within, uh, you know, a mental health type situation. Like, does that make sense? Like mm -hmm. with, the, with the demoniac, right? In, in Mark 5, I was just talking about. Well, if you look at some of the elements of schizophrenia, well, oftentimes, right, there's an element of nakedness. They, they lose stuff. Um, they oftentimes can sleep in cemeteries. And there are elements of self-mutilation. So was he demon-possessed? Yeah, probably. Jesus says he was. Was he schizophrenic? Maybe, right? Like, it's totally possible. I yeah, I was waiting to see where you were going with that because I was like, I don't like that. Like, David wasn't <laughs> mad. He was acting. And, you know, Jesus, obviously, we know wasn't mentally right. unstable. So I was like, where are you going? But that, no, I think that that's a good point that even then it was like if anybody had any, sem and obviously these are very extreme examples, but sure. like mm -hmm. if anybody had any semblance of just like something not being right in their mind, it automatically went to this place of 
like demonic possession or or distance from God, right. like like what you were saying. So, well, because again, I think right, that is they interesting. They didn't have this understanding of a brain, right, and what that was, and and just you know, oftentimes in totally different context and discussion, but oftentimes they would. It's called the God of the Gaps, where. People at that time or the ancients, they didn't understand plate tectonics. So when there was an earthquake, uh, they were just like, oh, well, the gods must be angry. Mm. Um, okay, maybe. Or there's this thing called plate tectonics, right? <laughs> and the, and the plates of the earth are shifting. Uh, and there's that friction. Um, so, yeah, oftentimes there's just this element where, well, we don't really necessarily understand this scientifically. Because, again, this is a pre-scientific age. Um, so they just chalk it up to right, the supernatural. They, they found yeah. reasons. And I'm not saying it's not supernatural, but, uh, you know, th- oftentimes, like I said, I think we see within the scriptures the supernatural works within a natural element that we can kind of further understand. Right, and just acknowledging the potential dangers of that blanket assumption. Right. Because, mm-hmm. like, sometimes that might be, you know, the case, but then a lot of the times it's not and stuff. Sure. So um, I think something that would be interesting is to hear if, a little bit more about, you know, people who just struggled the way that most of us struggle. You know, most of us aren't struggling with demon possession and acting (laughs) mad, you know what I mean? And so, or like legion. So I think maybe touching a little bit on how the Bible maybe represents that as well. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good point. And, and so one thing I think is interesting is, man, just open these scriptures. Like one of the things I love about the scriptures, they're, they're just so messy that they're real. Uh, right, so oftentimes, whether it's a historical narrative or poetry and wisdom literature or different people's view of the same event, like in the Gospels, again and again, um, we see these elements of of anxiety and depression and deep emotion, um, and 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 they'll chalk it up to these elements of the heart. And again, maybe they are elements of the heart. It was just they didn't understand that the brain existed at that time. And so, yeah, we could do a couple quick examples. David, I think, is probably a pretty pretty famous character, who I think clearly we could say suffered from <laughs> anxiety and depression. Uh, in Psalm fifty fifth, or yeah, and so here's a quick example in Psalm fifty five. Verse 4, David says, My heart pounds in my chest. The terror of death assaults me. Fear and trembling overwhelm me, and I can't stop shaking. Yeah, that's deep emotion. And some of us would be like, yeah, I've totally felt that. It's called a panic attack. Um, yeah, maybe maybe David suffered with panic attacks. Um, I also think it's interesting, you know, David's kind of known for several things. One thing he's known for is his relationship with Bathsheba, uh, which the story is, is, is told in 2 Samuel 11. But it's interesting how the story starts. In chapter 11, it says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites' army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. And we just kind of read that and just keep on going. But it's like, okay, why did David stay behind in Jerusalem? When a time when all the other kings were out to war, why is he not? Is it possible? Dude, he was just depressed. Hmm. Sometimes you don't feel like adulting. Maybe <laughs> David didn't feel like kinging this hmm. day. Uh, and, and then the very next verse, it says, late one afternoon after his midday rest. Okay, so is it that kings normally just take a nap in the middle of the day? Well, maybe if you're, you know, Lauren, whose <laughs> spiritual gift is napping. Uh, but maybe he's depressed and he's been sleeping more. And then it says... David got out of his bed and was walking around on the roof. Okay, or maybe that was the time to sleep, but he was suffering from insomnia, right? Because he's depressed and anxious about all of these things. And what does he do? 
the Bible says he's walking around and then he happens to see Bathsheba taking a, a, a bath and he turns to a negative coping strategy, sex and promiscuity, which mm-hmm. honestly, that still happens today. Um, so I think, you know, we can see some examples in the scriptures. David is one. I think by far the most popular Bible character and, that's connected with mental health is Saul. There are mounds and mounds of books that talk about Saul and his mental health from his rages and the music therapy of David, which is, which is really interesting. And, and sometimes Saul goes from being super depressed and then he goes in like these crazy like frenzies. Um, he actually shows up naked in front of Samuel for a few days. Like that's, that's kind of weird. And then a short while later, he's super homicidal. And then he builds monuments to himself because he thinks he's so great. But then he's super paranoid that David's going to show up and like take him out. Josephus, who, in case you don't know, was an ancient historian, actually says that Saul would be overcome by suffocating. Again, we would probably call that a panic attack. Um, But just time and time again, if you just walk through the life and the story of Saul, like, he's just all over the place. Um, In one moment, he's making this ridiculous decree. Uh, In 1 Samuel 14, he says, anyone who eats before evening will be killed. Okay, who says that? Um, and then, of course, well, his son was found out to be eating, and, well, that wasn't a good thing. Um, and, and he just seems to be all over the place, right? It, the Bible specifically says that he was head and shoulders taller than everyone else. He was really good-looking. He was handsome. So, yes, he's confident and bold. He's a strong leader. And then it seems like a few verses later, he's hiding among the baggage. Like, it's so... And he, some, one, in one moment, he wants to kill David, and then he feels super, like, deep remorse. I'm like, oh, David, I'm so sorry. I, I really didn't mean that. And then he goes back to hunting him again. And so there's really, honestly, the, the, the quick and the short of it is, there's a ton of evidence suggesting that poor King Saul may have suffered from bipolar disorder and depression. Uh, and so I think it's really interesting. Some of the things that we deal with today— um, Maybe these characters from thousands of years ago, they weren't all that different after all. So while that's, you know, nice little walk through history, let's bring it forward a little bit within the last 2,000 years. How did Jesus approach these people? I think what I love, well, one of the things I love about my main man, Jesus. <laughs> um, I feel like it's, made man Jesus. Well, I just feel like it's weird to say, like, what I love about Jesus. Like, yeah, yeah. No, it's anyway, a song or something. I'm what not- I love about Jesus <laughs> is that I think he always approached people the way that they needed to be approached. Mm -hmm. Um, And he always approached people like they were people. You know, he knew exactly how to communicate with people in the way that was most appropriate and accessible for them. And of course, we don't have that luxury or ability of knowing what every person needs. Um, But nobody in the Bible was too sick or unclean or unworthy or unlovable for Jesus to approach. Yes. I mean, that that's what stands out to me in the Bible the most about who Jesus was. And I think it calls me as a Christ follower to a higher standard of showing up for people in the way that they need me to show up for them. And it can be difficult, but more than anything, I want to show Jesus to the people that I encounter. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. And I think we learned, right, like we just kind of spent some time talking about that. Sure, madness was present in the Bible, but I do think it's interesting. Mental illness or madness or however you want to frame it, even in the scriptures, it was never a mark of spiritual weakness, 
nor does it disqualify us from a relationship or service to God. Right. Even while the ancients right, connected this idea of madness to separateness from God, there's never a single line in the Bible that puts this in a negative light or gives it a negative thought. Oftentimes, even within these contexts and some of these stories, it, it will say, we'll read this line that says, you know, and then when they died, they were buried with their fathers, which is easy for us to kind of gloss over. But what that really means is that they were honored, right? This was a really good thing. So I think, yeah, one of the takeaways is God actively pursues people, even those that may experience, uh, you know, some mental health issues or struggles that God pursues them and he works in their lives, um, you know, if they're suffering from these things. Even, you know, I didn't bring it up, but even Nebuchadnezzar, right, who's like this complete pagan, like non-believer, uh, you know, one story that oftentimes is famous with Nebuchadnezzar is he acts like an animal for, for a while. Well, we have a name for that now, right? It's either boanthropy or uh, lycanthropy, um, right? This, these elements of, of being delusional, but in the end, God still pursues him. Like, mm-hmm. He didn't even have a relationship with God. He didn't believe in God, but God still loved him and was pursuing him. And and as Nebuchadnezzar kind of got out of that stage of his life, he actually says something beautiful about God. Uh, he says, now I praise and glorify and honor the king of heaven. All his acts are just and true, and he's able to humble the proud. Like Nebuchadnezzar actually says that about God. So yeah, God continues to passionately pursue people um, no matter what state they're in. And like we already said, Jesus went across the lake for that demoniac, um, that person that may have been struggling uh, with mental health and demon possession, and tells him, he actually tells him after that whole situation, like he's, like he's made whole, he's healed. He tells him to go home, be with his family. And so, right, even with God, as we, or with David, we were talking about, like God has a plan for David's life. David did some amazing things uh, for God and for his people, even though he struggled with depression. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting that even in the middle of all of these people's struggles, um, they still look to God in order to move forward, and God helped them move forward. I I think it's really interesting that you talked about how in the Bible, it wasn't a mark of spiritual weakness or, you know, distance from God. Because, I mean, even just using words like crazy or madness, like that mm. makes me twinge inside. Because I feel like in our language and culture today, those can be very derogatory when you're sure. talking about people who are experiencing any spectrum of mental health problems. And so even just hearing those words, I'm like, oh, I don't like that. Can we not say that? <laughs> yeah. But I think that time and culture and practices and whatever have made those things negative. Um, and I mean, I, I, I do still think we need to be very careful about the words that we use and the way that we talk about this because it is a deeply painful thing for a lot of people. But I do think it's interesting to acknowledge that um, the way that this topic is approached has a huge role in the way that people receive it and think about it and, you know, the, the perspective towards mental health. Mm-hmm. So what are some, what, what's some constructive advice about how our spirituality and our relationship with God plays into our mental health? Uh, for me, I think the reminder that there is a connection, but it is maybe not a cause and effect relationship, you mm-hmm. know, um, 
spirituality, and we mentioned this earlier, no, it like it's a component of overall wellness. And I think anyone who's taken any kind of health and wellness class ever at any point in their life, you hear the whole prioritize physical, mental, emotional, spiritual. <laughs> you know. doing the voice. I think everyone does the voice. Like their I, own I think everyone's heard that. You know, like it is a component of the of your health to prioritize. And the the reason for that is because all of those different components components play together towards your overall wellness. So yeah. I, I do think it's something that people should work towards and and work on. Um, I think also like self-reflect and notice how your relationship with God does or doesn't affect your mental health or your life in general. I think that that's something that I've struggled with because I know that being close with God makes my mind more at peace, but I also feel like the pressure to fix everything by being closer to God can be really heavy. So just kind of reflecting on what that means for you um, and and not feeling the pressure to be so spiritual that you're healed and that all your problems go away. Because, I mean, nowhere in the Bible or anywhere does it say that you can be so close to God that your life will be perfect. And I think that that applies to everything, including mental health. Well, mm-hmm. and oftentimes, to your point, it seems like the people who walked closest with God— had yeah. way more problems. <laughs> right. And I think like just on that point, like can God heal? Yes, absolutely. 100 times yes. But does it always happen? No. Mm-hmm. And I'm not just talking about mental health. We all know people who have had health problems and have died or have had long, painful battles, you know, whether it's COVID or cancer or Alzheimer's or whatever. We all know people who have walked closely with God and not been healed. And strong faith doesn't always equal healed, but that doesn't mean we shouldn't still strive for a strong faith. And I think that a huge part of that is understanding our expectations and our purpose in the way that we pursue that. Mm -hmm. No, for sure. Because, I mean, as we've talked about before, faith is a nice churchy Christian word, but all it really means is trust. Mm. It's like, yeah, I, I'm. it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm just going to try and trust. Um, no, I, I, I think that's good. So like always within our podcast, we want to answer the question, okay, this is all cute and all, but but now what? So, so now what, right? How do we apply this and what are some practical takeaways? Like how can we support each other in our mental health or how can we normalize therapy, taking medication if necessary, uh, if that is helpful for a person? Or do you think it's possible to normalize talking about mental health in the same way we talk about going to the dentist, for example? Um, or, or how can we destigmatize conversations about mental health within Christian communities? So many good questions. Uh, I think my answer to all of the questions above um, is kind of related to something Robert said in our conversation last week, which Lauren briefly mentioned at the beginning. You know, he talked about shifting our language to say mental health rather than mental illness. Um, and to think about mental health as something we should promote for our overall health and wellness as opposed to a stigmatized problem to fix. And I think that acknowledging that mental health in itself is a much broader picture than a lot of people think can help to destigmatize the conversation a lot. Um, you know, we, we wouldn't tell someone to ignore the signs and symptoms of other physical problems because it's not shameful to have appendicitis or pneumonia or whatever. Um, So I absolutely think that it's possible with a lot of work to move towards kind of a new normal where we can have the conversations about mental health that are not judged maybe the way that they are now. Um, And I, I want to be clear because I know somebody might be like, they're not the same. I know they're not the same. I know that the situations and circumstances surrounding 
appendicitis and mental health are not the same. And I get that. But I do think that when we're talking about the health of our body in general, it's something that we need to acknowledge that all of our body needs to be taken care of and our, our mind is part of that. Um, and as Christian, as Christian communities and really just humans in general, I think we need to get more comfortable with yes and situations. Mm. Um, we can have anxieties and depressions and other struggles and we can lean on Jesus and work through those things with him and we can have a therapist and take medication if those things are helpful for us as well. Yeah, and God can work through those things. Mm-hmm. Right. My response to those questions is just like a resounding yes. Um, <laughs> to all the above. To all the above. Yeah. Yes. We support each other and and we, I don't even want to say should, like that's just. Yeah, we just do. We just do. Yeah. Um, support each other in our mental health. Yes, we can normalize going to therapy and taking medication if needed. Yes, we can normalize mental health checkups and we should go to the dentist like that. <laughs> I know people Can who I don't. Can I be honest? I, I do go, for the record, <laughs> twice a year because my wife makes me, but I don't, I don't enjoy it. I'm just owning it. You don't have to enjoy it, but you should still do it, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yes, as Christ followers, let's work to destigmatize mental illnesses. Christ calls us to love one another, and mm. I think we love by doing all of those things. Mm. Will we get things wrong? Of course. We're human. But to me, I see being church and being Jesus by supporting people learning how to take care of themselves in the context of mental health. And I think that if we prioritize that, we'll be able to show up for one another even better by knowing how to love one another better. And that to me feels like a really good place to be because everyone is in some sort of way looking for some light and Jesus is that light. Amen. That's so good. Absolutely. In my experience, when people say that they're atheists or they don't believe in God, it's usually not that they don't believe there is a God. It's that they're mad at or don't believe in a certain God. And honestly, that God is usually one I don't believe in either. Angry, vindictive, punishes all the time. That is a false narrative. The true narrative, God loves his children, all of them. We have a God who passionately pursues his kids in order for them to have a better life and be better at life. Salvation's great. Don't get me wrong. Like, this is a really good gift, and I'm super excited about that. But that's not necessarily the goal. The goal is to know and be known. A daily, step-by-step walk. Sure, everyone knows John 3.16. It's great. But do you remember verse 17? It says, God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And last I checked, God's the same today as he was yesterday and he will be tomorrow. God's mission is to love and save, period. Special thanks to our audio engineer, Ellen Clark, who is the man. Music throughout this episode is by Common Man Music. A special thank you to Colony House. If you like what you've been hearing, tell your friends. And if you'd like to connect with any of us, follow us on Instagram at We're the Outsiders Podcast. And we will see you next week. <laughs>